Well, today, if you have your Bible, we're continuing in a series called It's Like This. I want you to turn to two passages, Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 14. Now, uh, if you have the Bible app, you can go and find, uh, find our event there. All the notes will be there. You can uh, put your own notes in if you want to follow us along uh, uh, that way, or you can just jot notes down on a notes card there if you like. And we've been in this series called It's Like This because God spoke to me as I was driving down the road. Uh, it just kind of interrupted a, a moment where I was just minding my own business, thinking about my schedule. And God said this to me. He said, my kingdom is bigger than you think. My kingdom is bigger than you think. Despite what you hear on the news, despite the articles that say the Christian church is, is going downhill in America, I'm telling you, I heard what God said. My, my, my Lord said to me, my kingdom is bigger than you think. And he's moving. And when the Lord spoke that to me, it, it, began, to, it began to stir something in me that I needed to go and investigate more about the kingdom. And there's something that Jesus did in a powerful way to give revelation about the kingdom of God. He told parables. They're stories that, that teach a moral truth, a biblical truth. And he, he used this many times uh, in an intentional ways. In Luke chapter 8, it tells us exactly why uh, he, he spoke in parables. It says his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And he said, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables, these stories, so seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. So parables, listen, reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God to disciples. That means when we go into the parables, we ought to see deep spiritual truths about the kingdom. Now, Parables tend to divide, as the scripture mentions. It'll divide the religious and the disciple. The religious will just hear the story and go, why is he talking about that? And they'll walk away. The disciple will press in relationally into Jesus. And Jesus, teach me about your kingdom. Now, we here at Calvary, we, we are always trying to teach the next generation. If you looked around, you would say, wow, there's a lot of young people in this church. We're intentional about teaching the young generation. And even today, next door, there, there are teachers teaching uh, biblical uh, precepts to our children. I heard a story about a, a woman who was teaching her class, and she went to her class, and she said, she said, all right, kids, I have a question for you. She says, if I sold everything, sold my house, sold my car, and gave all my money to the church, would I go to heaven? And all the kids chimed in, these five and six-year-olds, they all chimed in and said, no. She said, wait, I got another question. She said, if I came to the church every day and cleaned the church, if I made everything neat and tidy, would I go to heaven? And all the kids said, no. And the teacher was so excited thinking, wow, they're really catching on to what I've been teaching them. And so she then asked them, well, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And this five-year-old boy in the back said, you got to die. <laughs> I 
Sometimes there's just an obvious truth, right? There's just something obvious that we need to, we need to see. It's, that's not the answer maybe she was looking for, uh, but, but that is an obvious truth. Now, today we're going to lean into a moment where, where there are some obvious truths that we need to discover, some mysteries that were just below the surface. There was this moment in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus goes to a ruler of the Pharisees' house. For a dinner. Now wait. Now at first, you know, most of you who've been around the church, you know, you know, Pharisees are not spoken of in a positive light. They're, they're, they were actually uh, very, uh, very, very religious. They were the keepers of Scripture, so we have that to thank them for. But they were very resistant to Jesus. Now, the scripture does tell us many of the priests actually did turn to Jesus in, in the time, but there were many who rejected him. And, and so here's Jesus in the Pharisees' house. Now, the Pharisees were one of three groups, uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes, but you don't hear about the Essenes very much, uh, but you hear about Pharisees and Sadducees, okay? So Pharisees, they, they believed in the law, but they also believed in the supernatural ministry of God. They knew he was supernatural to the point where they knew that if they were to die, they would resurrect. Now the Sadducees, the Sadducees, they were, they, they, they believed in the teaching, but they rejected the supernatural, uh, the, the, the supernatural ministry of God. So they didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And the, reason, the way that you can remember that in your head, the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee, is that if you don't believe in the resurrection, you will be sad. You see? All right? You get that? All right? Come on. If you believe in the resurrection, you're going to live with joy, even in the face of death. Now, so he is with these people, and a dinner has been given in his honor, and someone sitting at the table, in verse 15, Luke 14, 15, says this. Now, one, when, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, remember, what do parables do? They reveal mysteries of the kingdom of God. So immediately, Jesus goes into a parable. Verse 16, then he said, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord begin to make excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to, to have me excused. And another said, I bought the five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you've commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said 
to his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, uh, this may be called the parable of the great supper in your Bible. Uh, I like to call this the invitation of the kingdom. This is the invitation of the kingdom. Now, within this uh, parable, there's three different people that we're going to spend some time looking at. We need to really investigate this because this is right after someone said, hey, this is, this blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom. So here is a parable that there is a mystery, a profound mystery about the kingdom within. Now, there's three people. In it, there's the master who represents Father God. Okay, he is, the, he is God our Father. Then there are servants, which are sons and daughters. And then uh, there's the invited, which is everyone. Everyone else. So today I want us to take a quick glance at the master. We need to, we need to look into understanding the master if we're ever going to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, because the kingdom belongs to the master. So first thing you want to see from this is the master's prepared. The master is prepared. Verse 16 says, then he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. I tell you what, if you don't hear anything else today, I pray that there would be an alarm going off in your spirit that hears that statement. Come now, for everything is now ready. Everything has been prepared. Everything is in place. Everything you need, God has prepared prepared and it's ready not tomorrow not next month not next year it's ready now it's ready now he prepared in advance this feast and every detail had been thought of and supplied for and this feast the supper represents all that god has done for us now jesus in luke chapter 4 tells us what's on the menu. It tells us what's on the table. This is right after Jesus gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descends on him, and it remains on him. His very first words following the encounter with the Holy Spirit, he, he begins to describe what's on God's supper table. Luke 4, 17 begins this way. He said, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, 
This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, come, for now all things are ready. Listen, if you found yourself in this list, I've got good news. There's something at the table for you. Oh, I love this. He said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. That's not talking about their economy. Not talking about your economy. It's talking about you're spiritually poor. I've come to bring good news to the backslidden of heart, those away from God. I'm anointed to preach good news to the poor. He says, I've got something at the table. You feel like you've got nothing to offer God? Let God offer you the gospel through Christ, and suddenly he'll make you a person he can use. Come on, I can help you if you just listen to this verse today. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Anybody in here ever had a broken heart? I mean brokenhearted. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I'm telling you, everything is set at this table. If you've come in here defeated and betrayed and wondered why, man, I feel like I can't get ahead. I don't have, people don't respect me. People don't honor me. Let me just tell you, Jesus said, come sit at this table. I have healing for your heart. I have come and now it's ready. He says, by the way, if you felt captive, I can't get free of this addiction. I can't get free of this thought pattern. I can't get free of this condemnation. Jesus said, come sit at the table. I've got freedom prepared for the captive. You say, well, you know, mine was a little different. I was in a car accident and I've been limping ever since. And I've had these problems and these traumas that have, have been connected to something that happened to me. I've got good news for you. He said, I've come to open the eyes of the blind. He said, I don't care if you were born that way or if life put out your spiritual eyes. I've come to open your eyes. I've come to heal your trauma and the skewed view of, of the way that you have viewed God and viewed people. He says, I'm coming with healing and it's at the table today. Why would God do this? Why? He doesn't have to doesn't need to why would God do this why would God put out this kind of spread for us here's why he ex he has prepared an extravagant feast through Jesus because he delights in you he delights in you did you wake up this morning and, and just think oh man I'm so glad God delights in me probably not Probably not. You just think about, man, I wonder if my, my, my mistakes from yesterday will chase me into my today. That's the way most of us think. I'm here to tell you, God, by his grace, has set a table for us because he delights in us. You say, prove it. Okay, Psalm 36, verse 7, NIV. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. There's the feast. And you give them drink, listen, from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. 
in your light we see light. So what are we drinking from? The river of his delight. He delights in you. Listen, that doesn't have to do with your performance. When you're in Jesus, when you're born again, you need to know this. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you because you aimed your faith at his only son who gave himself for you. And you were saved by grace through faith. Listen to me, church. He delights in you. I aim today to free you from thinking that God is mad at you. You say, well, you don't know what I did. Now, that, just because we do things that don't please him doesn't change the fact that he still delights in you. Here's how you know he's delighting in you when you do something that doesn't please him. You experience conviction. Oh, man. Come on. Some of y'all, when you mess up and you say stuff you know you shouldn't have said or you thought things you know you shouldn't have thought or you did things you know you shouldn't have done and you know it was sin and suddenly that grievous feeling comes upon your heart, you know what you ought to do? Repent and rejoice. Because if you've got conviction, oh, you got it because he delights in you. He's saying, I'm not going to let Satan bind you and keep you in darkness. No, my conviction will bring correction, and that course correction will bring you right back into my river of delight. Psalm 147.10 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. He delights in those who put their hope in his, listen to me, unfailing love. It doesn't say he delights in the one whose love doesn't fail. He says, I delight in those who put their hope in my unfailing love. Well, not only is master prepared, and the reason why he would do it, is that he delights in you. But you need to understand this. God is passionate. The master is passionate. And there's a, there's a word in here that bothers maybe some, some believers, and we're going to look at it. It says, verse 21, it says, So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house, here these two words, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. In the Greek, this word, these two words, being angry, it means this, to be provoked. That's the first definition. Being angry, it means, and being provoked. Or you could say it this way, and being aroused to anger. Anybody like me, like uh, when you were a kid, you would, you would have people out um, evangelizing, and they would bring you those little cartoon books. You know, and they have different messages, but they're kind of all the same. You get to the end of the cartoon message, right? And there's God sitting on a throne, right? 
But the way they depict God, he's kind of shiny and he has no face. I understand why they don't put a face on him for those theologians out here. I understand why they don't. But sometimes that affects the way that we see God. We actually think of him as mostly emotionless, unless it's anger. We don't see him as one who is passionate and provoked to move on our behalf. Have you ever made something for somebody prepared something only to have it rejected? Oh, I know what that's like. Mom, spend some time in the kitchen. Prepare something that dad likes. Meatloaf. Glory to God. Be glad when she gets home. But the kids come in and look at it and go, ah. I'm like, get thee behind me, Satan. Because I'm going to eat it tonight and tomorrow I'm going to put it on bread. It's going to be a meatloaf sandwich. We, we gonna, I'm going to fry it on both sides. It's, yeah, just stay out of it. You know, if you ever prepare something and you go to great lengths and they reject it, It will provoke you to find someone who would appreciate it. Years ago, I was with Pastor Carl and Megan in Swaziland. I'll never forget the day we went into the village there in Balimbu and made a massive pot of rice and a massive pot of beans. And there we were serving these kids a simple dish of rice and beans. Now, something you need to know about these kids is most of them, their parents had died because of HIV and AIDS. AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa has nearly wiped out everybody my age. So you will see people much older and much younger. So here are all these kids, most of them, their parents have died. And we're scooping out a simple dish of rice and beans, huge plates. And the kids were beaming. And there was great delight for what had been supplied. Matter of fact, some of them were so grateful. I watched this one little boy. He ate half his plate and then covered his plate. I said, wait, 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 wait. Why, why are you doing that? He said this. My sister wasn't able to come today. So I'm going to take what was been prepared to somebody who wasn't here. Listen to me. That meant life to them. That meant nourishment to them. That meant... I'm going to put another day between me and the grave to them. Why is God provoked? It 
It's because of the quality and the cost of the supper. It's the cost and the quality. Now, I, I, I want you to hear this because I think sometimes we quote verses so many times we become numb to their truth. Listen to the cost for God so loved the world. John 3, 16, 17. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you hear? He said, I sent my only son. My only son. Not one of them. My only son. And not only did I send my only son, I sent him because you were condemned. You were already condemned. And I didn't send him to condemn. I sent him to save. And oftentimes, we in this culture, Push back from the table. But I want to tell you today, not only is he showing us the cost, he's actually showing us the quality of what he's trying to give us. Why is he passionate? Is there something more beyond just you being saved? Now, okay, now I'm on my way to heaven. Now, is there something more that I am to know and experience? There is. Luke 12, 31 says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches for, and no moth destroys. Listen, what, what you need to understand is he is trying to give you Jesus. He is trying to get you into the kingdom to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the, this active participation in the expansion of the realm and reign of Jesus. What a gift. And make no mistake here today, listen and listen carefully. A rejection of the invitation is a rejection of the master. Now this last thing that you really need to see is that, I love this about this master, he is persistent. He is persistent. Verse 22, it says, and the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. You should write this down. I'm not into tattoos, but if I were, you might be able to get this one. An unfilled house is not an option for the master. Come on, look around this room. Some of y'all were a little angry that you couldn't get everybody sitting in the same room, in the same aisle, in the same place in this service. I get it. I understand. But the empty seats in this place are not an option for the master. The empty seats in 8 o'clock and 1130, they're not an option for the master. 
He is saying, no, in persistence, I want to see every chair at the table filled. He's saying, I am persistent. And in this story, he goes farther and farther to find those who will come. God will not be uh, stopped in his pursuit of you and in pursuit of restored relationship with her humanity. First, it's the nearest. The next... It's the streets and the lanes that that were in town. And then it's the highways and hedges. These are the fields outside of town where people who without homes who would work in the fields, they would just try to find a place of refuge from the elements under the hedges. He goes further and further. Matter of fact, you see in the scripture... This is exactly what God does. In Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says it this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Listen to this. For it is the power of God to, for salvation to everyone who believes. For who? The Jew first. You need to hear this. It's to the Jew first. And also for the Greek. But the gospel is who? To the Jew first. Why? Because Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. The first ones to receive the gospel were the Jews. And they were invited and many rejected. By the way, you do know Jesus is Jewish, right? You should know that. He's not a blue-eyed Gentile. He's a fiery-eyed Jew from the tribe of Judah who took on flesh and, and came to reach the lost sheep of Israel first. But much like this supper, they said, ah, I'm not sure I want to come. Then we find in Romans chapter 10, Isaiah prophesying in verse 20, he says, but Isaiah is very bold. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient contrite, a contrary period. Here, here's what it's saying. He's saying God is persistent. He's coming after those who did not seek him. Come on. Was anybody in that place? I know I was. I wasn't seeking God. I just found out that God came seeking me. He came after me. And if you're here today and you're outside of a relationship with God, you need to know the master is persistent in pursuit of you, that he would have your heart, that you would be redeemed, washed, cleansed, and put in the family of God and given the kingdom of God to see it expand everywhere we go. Oh, and by the way, just in case you think he's turned his back on Israel, he has not. For it says here, all day long, I stand with arms wide open. You would go on to the next verse, and you would hear Paul say, Paul said, oh, no, no, no. It's God's will that all Israel would be saved. Listen, he's not done with those he went to first. His arms are extended wide, but you need to know, Gentiles, he's come after you. He said, well, if they won't come, I'm coming after ones who aren't looking for me. I'm coming after you. He's persistent. Oh, in Acts 2, he just, he just goes off. Acts 2, 17, you remember this verse? In the explanation of the outpouring of the Spirit, 
on 120 Jews, by the way. This is what it says. And in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on what? All flesh. So he starts with the Jews and starts reading, reaching the Gentiles. And he says, last days, all flesh. Highways and hedges. Highways and hedges. He goes, I'm going around the world. And he says, this gospel will be preached in every nation. And then the end. He says, I'm going to the farthest reaches to find those who want to sit at the table. Father God is after every single person in Citrus County. He's after every person, even the ones you don't like. Matter of fact, if you don't like them, they're probably likely to, to live next to you in heaven forever. <laughs> so you better get things right now. Come on. It's every person. It's everyone. And you and I need to say, okay, God, there's a beautiful mystery of the kingdom that you're on folding here as you reveal to us the master it's this I'm a part of this little fellowship called Calvary Church and I believe every time we gather for prayer Every time we gather for worship, every time we gather to reach out in this community Every time we gather our kids together the master's setting a table He's setting a table and it's not just for the seasoned saint. No, it's for the staggering sinner as well. He's setting a table and saying, come and find your place. Come and find your place at the table that I've set for you. Listen, this is the kingdom. Let me finish by saying it this way. You and I have a feast to receive. But it doesn't stop with a meal. We also have an invitation to carry with the heart of the master that an empty table is not an 